thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hello there, wonderful wellness women listening to this tonight. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And you can find us on social media. We are The Wellness Women on Facebook. We are at The Wellness Women Official on Instagram. I am The Period Whisperer on Facebook and Dr. Andrea.xo on Instagram. And Dr. Ashley Bond is Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. And tonight, um, I'm really excited about this podcast because we're kind of just going to have a bit of a catch up and just riff on some interesting things that are happening in the women's health space that's relevant to you at the moment. Um, but first of all, Ash, I just want to find out, um, how are you doing? <laughs> oh, look, I, you know what? It's uh, it's typical life in some parts of, uh, you know, my life. And then other times it's a bit hectic and crazy. I've had a few challenges come, uh, come into my world. So, Look, I think it's like everyone, there's just uh, ebbs and flows. And so at the moment we're, we're going okay, but uh, I was following and I said, oh, you know, good evening, everyone. I thought, oh, look, people who are driving to work, they might be, uh, you know, having their lunch break listening to this and, you know, running on treadmill at the gym. So I guess, you know, if you're having a great day, we hope that you are having a happy day today. We're uh, both at the end of very busy long days today, so it's yeah. kind of um, it's always interesting to see what we're going to bring to the table when we have those days. But I find that I really get my mojo when we start nerding out and talking research stuff. We start finding all these you know, research papers and just the yeah. I guess the possibilities that come from that and interpreting them. And um, you know, I I really look forward to talking to you ladies today about those things as well and just getting your takes on some of this because. 
gosh, it's a conflicting and confusing world out there. And the key studies we're going to talk about tonight are no, you know, I guess no shortage of controversy about them. And I think that's why, you know, for you ladies as listeners, it's so important to um, find places and spaces where you can have these conversations because if you just read the news articles, you take, you know, the headline from it and think that, you know, everything you've ever done is wrong and you're going to change everything tomorrow because of that headline. So we're going to try and help you encourage some critical thinking and um, I guess bring you around to the way we think about things and how we deconstruct, um, you know, research in a way that makes, I guess, practical application and also Sometimes we contradict and challenge it and say, but hang on, there's a limitation to that. So um, yeah. I, I like this. I like being a little bit more conversational. Yeah, me too. And I think that some of the topics we're going to cover tonight, uh, I think that we weren't quite sure if we wanted to do like a full podcast episode on each of them. So that's why we thought we'd just give you a bit of an update of what's happening in, in the women's health world really. And uh, it's why well, <laughs> Because Ashley and I get to see each other so rarely. It's sometimes nice when we just go, oh, hey, how are you? <laughs> and just, you know, for us to actually touch base um, and to put this into a little bit of context for you ladies listening, it's now quarter to nine here in Perth. Um, Ash and I have, have you had dinner? No. <laughs> I've literally scoffed. I'm, I'm like thinking, uh, my superfood drinks, drinks so I'm like, I think that's dinner right there. Yeah, nice. No, I, I literally scoffed some chicken and salad just before we started talking. I think I got home 15 minutes ago. And so this is like what life is like in our crazy world at the moment. And Ash, I know that you had um, interesting times with Ollie when you got home from practice tonight. And I had such a massive day of just incredibly beautiful patients but lots of challenging challenging cases at the moment which I love um but also you know it's just lots going on oh can I start tonight with what one so that came out because I just I just think you know for me we're both dark chocolate freaks really um <laughs> hey I've almost been 12 months chocolate free so November oh, will be sorry yeah I won't no. into my my uh, you know distorted world of oh. dark chocolate love but up until last like, year I was I don't you worry too. I think dark chocolate conversations with women is pretty important. Um, yes. <laughs> we always talk about how important dark chocolate is to our life. Um, but, you know, a new study was, uh, came out and previously there was a study showing that dark chocolate has a beneficial effect on visual function. And I thought, how awesome is that? That's cool. Um, and basically they, they attributed that to improved blood supply uh, just to vasodilation caused by platinols in the dark chocolate. And I thought, ah, oh, more proof that this stuff is super power, super food. Like, <laughs> just justifies my addiction. Um, yeah, that's how I feel about this, the coffees, uh, the studies that come out about coffee. I'm like, bring it on. But does this speak to how everybody cherry picks research? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and so this, this is very uh, This is interesting because this comes out um, from uh, a separate one which has just been published, which is contradicting the study findings. And they actually replicated the study design, um, but they added objective blood supply measurements. And unfortunately, those objective measurements uh, didn't show any real changes in retinal blood supply attributable to dark chocolate. So, oh, what a shame. Like, 
and there were no improvements in visual functions. Like previously they had um, surveyed, you know, the people that were using the study to get subjective outcomes, like you think your eyes are sucked, but oh yes it is. Now I can tell you about I ate that chocolate and they were feeding me like awesome dark chocolate. But, oh yeah, no, no, it's working, it's amazing. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, yeah, this is an indicator that it didn't. So it just goes to show that, you know, we like you said, we cherry pick our reasons, we find things that support our bias, meaning that if I'm more to be found that dark chocolate is the best thing ever and justify why I choose to eat it, then I'm going to find things that meet that desire to support what I believe in, right? Um, and, you know, in, in the real world of research, we need to be able to look at both sides of a coin and decide whether or not there's true, you know, true value to what that research is saying, how big is the study, and there's, there's so many variables. Now, I'm not a research you know, queen in the sense that I have not gone, done PhDs and know all the intricacies that it comes down to um, university-based research studies, but I think, you know, having studied it enough to qualify myself in our world of chiropractic, which we both had to do research studies and um, specific subjects to that nature, uh, certainly gave me a better ability to pick through researching. You know, that's the no, 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 yes, 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 no, no, no. Um, so I think, yeah, this is a great example of that. And I just thought, oh, fuck it, that superfood that I was, you know, promising was making everything better, um, unfortunately, remains to be proven. So they're not going to say categorically that it doesn't work. They're just saying that from their, their study, they found that there was, uh, certainly, you know, people felt like they could taste it well, but they didn't think they could see better. So. You know what? I think the absolute power of placebo, if you have that positive association with it, Ash, you take that and you run with it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, um, yeah, so that wasn't the hard hitting research I wanted to talk about really to start with. No. Uh, just put it out there and start with uh, start with chocolate and maybe you ladies listening will, will stay online. With but that can online. soften the blow. Um, so one thing that I want to talk about that's really topical and that's still doing the rounds at the moment is we put a post up a few weeks ago on there was some new research that came out that showed that there's a now a strong um, correlation between depression that is long-lasting uh, for adolescents who take oral contraceptives. So this was a study that was published in the Journal of Child Psychology and Psychi- Psychiatry. Uh, so it came out on the 28th of August, very reputable journal. Um, so this is good quality evidence-based research and it showed that oral contraceptive use in adolescents predicts lasting vulnerability to major depressive disorders in adulthood. So even after the contraception has been stopped. Um, now, this does, you know, support a lot of the research that we know um, how the pill can predispose you to or can exacerbate depression and anxiety. We know it has a big effect on your mental health um, and that this was sort of supporting, okay, so if teens start oral contraceptives during those vulnerable years of rapid growth, rapid body and brain development, what lasting effect does this have? Um, so we posted this online because it's really interesting and obviously we're quite concerned about, um, you know, the effect that this has on, you know, our teenagers and our population and it went completely viral. So um, I think that the post reached like a million people. It had thousands of shares. It had thousands of comments. Uh, and it was very polarising as well. So it was so interesting seeing the comments from so many women saying things like, oh, I took the pill for two months and it was the worst thing I ever did and I've never been the same. And then on the other side of the fence, we got some really angry 
women saying things like, well, wouldn't teenage pregnancy be worse? Wouldn't that be a worse outcome and have greater risks of depression lifelong? And I think that that's a really valid argument, but I think that we're missing the point. And so I got pretty fired up about this. And so, Ash, this is what I want to have a conversation with you about tonight. So I just want us to, you know, be able to talk to some of those comments and about, um, you know, this idea that the pill does increase your risk of depression and for a long time, even after stopping it. And this is also supported by earlier studies that were done. So there was this huge, very robust study that was done um, in a Danish population of over a million women. Uh, And it showed that this was the one that showed that um, the first use of antidepressants increased significantly in uses of the oral contraceptive pill. Um, And we also know that if they're progesterone only, so if they're the mini pill, the Implanon or the Marina IUD, it increases that risk of depression much greater. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty massive, right? That's a million women and it showed a correlation. Now, you can't say causation for these sorts of things, um, but they, this was not a subjective finding. This was looking at the health data of when the first antidepressant prescriptions were filled and comparing that to data of were they also taking oral contraceptives. Um, so I just think that it's just something that we need to think about. It's something that we need informed consent about that I don't think teenagers have the ability to really truly understand what informed consent means and what that bigger picture for them might mean. So understanding that it's going to dramatically decrease their nutrient um, state, it's going to affect their mental health, it can affect their metabolism, their biochemistry and their fertility potential for life. You know, like as teenagers, your prefrontal cortex isn't even developed properly yet. How can you make lifelong decisions with absolute informed consent? Like it just doesn't make sense. Um, so I do think that adults need to be involved in that conversation with them. I don't think it's appropriate for teenagers to be able to get hormonal contraceptives online either. So now you can do that in certain parts of the US. Um, so without, you know, a prescription, you can just buy your pill and everything else online. And as far as the debate around contraception, I do think that that's not my issue with the pill. It's an excellent contraception, but it has risks. And we have to understand that. And I also think that are we not pointing the finger at the wrong thing? Like are we not planting our flag on the wrong argument here? Because, yes, the pill does um, is an excellent contraception. It has about a 97% success rate. Um, condoms have about a 98% success rate and they also prevent it against most sexually transmitted infections, which the pill obviously does not. So are we giving women a false sense of security, you know, to protect them against like pregnancy, but it doesn't protect against infection, which if someone was to contract, say, chlamydia and was not treated properly, that could go on to develop, you know, pelvic inflammatory disease, which would could potentially be a lifelong thing that would affect their fertility potential can exacerbate things like endometriosis and everything else. Um, so I am on my soapbox a little bit here. Ash, feel free to stop me at any time. I'm just <laughs> oh, look, getting a little bit passionate to jump in there because um, exactly what you said, I think we are pointing, you know, our fingers the wrong things here and I completely agree with you that we shouldn't be raising alarm bells about this. We shouldn't just be accepting it as, 
you know, personal choice and social, you know, norms and all the rest. Um, these studies are also showing in particular the vulnerable age group is 16-year-olds um, as highlighted, you know, in their data, which indicated that the 16-year-olds who were using oral contraceptives had depressive symptoms, severity scores that were up to 21% higher than those who were not taking oral contraceptives. And they also reported more crying, sleeping and eating problems than the counterparts who were not taking them. So, like, that's a really big deal. If you're the mother of a 16-year-old daughter and you're trying to understand what is going on in this, you know, this teenager's brain coupled with, you know, what's going on with regards to the contraception and the interaction with the pill, um, we now start to see that link and understand that, Yes, if you go on the pill, you're more likely to be prescribed antidepressants. Um, we should be really concerned about that. Now, it's a, it's a gold mine, right, for, for pharmaceutical companies, so it's not in their interest to have this information in the public sector. It is not in their interest to promote this or to you know provide informed consent because guess what? Oh, wow, you can have a, you know, a good sex education program which teenagers understand better and let's just say it's appropriate safe use you know, condoms, yeah. as opposed to a teenager who is on the pill, you know, on a monthly basis for the next 10, 20 years maybe, mm-hmm. um, and you also very likely are going to need to put them on antidepressants too. So, um, you yeah. know, it's a win for them. I really don't see the financial incentive to promote safe use of any contraceptive really because, um Sadly, I believe the bottom dollar wins and I think that this is a gold mine for, for pharmaceutical companies. Well, the leading um, one of the CEOs of one of the leading pharmaceutical companies, I think it was Bayer, was quoted saying that their best customer is a woman who has been on oral contraceptives since she was a teenager because by the time she's in her mid-30s and she wants to have a child, then she she comes off the pill and then she needs fertility medication, which is tens of thousands of dollars per round like it's just hideous and i think that that is criminal um but anyway and you know what pregnancy is not caused by simply a lack of contraceptives you know that's (laughs) not that's not what causes it it's one form of contraception that does do a good job in preventing pregnancy if it's taken every single day at the same time each day um so if there aren't any user errors but also often the methods of contraception that we use in our younger years are sometimes the reason why we so desperately are trying to get pregnant as we get older as well. Um, the other the other thing that I just want to just remind people is that so women can get pregnant between four to six days a month. So four to six days. It's not a huge time of the month, but we're taking contraceptives for that entire time, whereas men or boys are fertile for 365 days a year. You know, are we yes, not focusing yes, yes. too much that burden on women, on these girls who cannot be making proper informed decisions for their life, for their health status, for their mental health, for their fertility potential, for the rest of their life when we need to be, we need to be changing that focus? Well, they are changing this focus, and this has just come out um, this year that they finally got a bit of a breakthrough in the male pill. Um, and so, birth control pill for men has passed initial human safety studies, and they're now being able to move into the second phase of safety assessment. So, basically, um, they're designing a once daily pill, which is designed to stop sperm production. Now, the current options for men are vasectomies, uh, so the SNP, or for condoms. So, you know, at the, the moment they're saying, well, that's the only option for them. 
But this is something that's been going on for almost a decade for Syrianists, and every time something comes up, they put it on the back burner. And so, you know, I was really interested in the discussion with the uh, researchers because essentially there's no money in it. No one's supporting them. No one's putting any money into it. And like you just said, hang on, guys, are 365 days a year. We're going to, you know, four to six days a month. And somehow it's all about the women and it's not about the men. So the money should be going into this, really, if you think about it. Um, and they're, they're saying biologically the challenge is to create a hormone-based pill for men to make sure that it doesn't blunt sex drive or reduce erections. So, well, you know, it's all about them, right? All about pleasure. Meanwhile, women do have libido drops on the pill. We know that's The best true. way to kill your libido is by taking hormonal contraceptives. Um, I, I, like, this concerns me so much. Um, one, I don't think that it's going to get passed because it just, we know how patriarchal the uh, just the healthcare system is we know how differently women and men are treated in healthcare but i don't think that this is a feminist issue i'm much more concerned about the fact that this is also going to be modulating how our how men function this is going to be changing their testosterone their normal reproductive function their virility their masculinity i just think it's just as bloody dangerous <sighs> okay yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> they have another version, and they're coming up with a body gel which you can apply to your back and shoulders, absorb through the skin. So, ladies, when we talk about low tox lifestyles, now you understand we constantly talk about what goes on the skin is just as important as what goes in the body, um, because what you put on is absorbed, and this is what they use for the research uh, study as well. And so, they're looking at a gel to naturally um, block natural testosterone production in the testes. So, um, again, you know, another that study. That is disastrous. <laughs> yeah. They're considering as well that it's safe enough to move to the next phase of testing. Um, what I think was really interesting in the discussion for the scientists um, is that the industry, main pharmaceutical industry, is not convinced about the potential market. And it's been a long story because of lack of investment. And uh, you know they're relying on charitable and academic funding. Um, and it just says the key will be is if there is enough pharmaceutical company interest to bring this product to market, um, irrespective of whether these trials are successful. And I think um, so so interesting that they don't think there is enough marketplace for a male contraceptive pill. Another thing that came up as well, they also surveyed women to find out whether they would trust men to take it. And there was a resounding majority of women didn't think they would trust a man to be responsible enough to take a contraceptive to ensure that the female doesn't fall pregnant. Fascinating. And mm. isn't that just so interesting that the, the burden of this has always been on women? Mm -hmm. And that's still being continued now. There was also a non-hormonal version of um, male contraception that they were trialling that was a pill that um, was reversible, that was uh, it had an enzymatic effect on sperm. So it would essentially alter the sperm so that um, it would not be viable. Uh, it was non-hormonal, so it wouldn't affect virility or oh, sorry, it would of course it would affect affect virility. It wouldn't affect libido um, or you know, other hormonal influences. So you know, obviously testosterone is involved in much more for men than just um, getting erections and having a high libido. So I think that that's a better 
um, sort of way to look at things and it seemed to be a bit safer as well. The trials were being done, uh, I think, in mice still. Um, we posted about that a while ago. I actually can't remember the um, the journal that was publishing that. There was uh, it was one of the universities. I think it was UCLA that they were looking at it. Off the top of my head, but I'll find that and we'll post it because it was fascinating. Um, that would probably be the only one that I could feel comfortable getting behind. <laughs> but at the same time, do we trust them enough to shift that responsibility? Mm, well, well, look, I think uh, if you ask most women, they'd say, oh, no, 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 I'll be on the safe side, I'll, I'll do it myself. So then you end up with uh, both men and women both taking some form of contraceptive, hopefully non-hormonal for either of us, but most likely it's going to be hormonal for both. Um, so then what, what happens to the offspring of these, these hormonally um, <laughs> manipulated human beings, both men and women? Who knows? And I think the rule that we're playing is just that, is that we're just rolling the dice and hoping for something good to come of it. But um, history tends to show us when we start playing around with the hormones and the endocrine system, we end up with problems and complications, as most of you can attest to, who are on any sort of hormone recovery journey right now. So, um, yeah. ladies, yeah, we just thought we'd... we'd bring you up to date with what's out there and what's going on so you know you know what we're thinking and the challenges we have when this research comes up and why we do defend some of the comments we made because um you know i think rightly so someone's going to be devil's advocate and <laughs> suggest that they may not be you know the golden goose that we are all expecting and hoping of them yeah also and i think that looking at uh, like I love the fact that we are just staying so ahead of the curve in terms of the research and information that's coming out there um, that, you know, I'm still getting Google alerts every single day about that study that was published in the 28th of August that we posted about long ago and there's still that ongoing debate. Um, so I think that, you know, we're pretty cleverish, I think, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about one that I, uh, I picked up in the um, RSEGP, so the Royal Australian College of um, General Practitioners, so the GPs, and they were having a little chat about um, a new study that was talking about uh, basically putting red meat back on the table because all of a sudden it's been showing that there's strong links uh, in terms of research to cardiovascular disease, heart disease, anything that's increasing risk of death, including cancer. So this new research was suggesting that, um, you know, it was actually not as drastic and dramatic as what had been reported uh, previously mm-hmm. and that it should be, you know, included in standard diets that we are eating red meat. Um, and I thought that was interesting because that kind of contradicts some of the, the strong data that we've seen lately and... This has kind of been a real turn of the tables. What are your thoughts on that one? Um, I, it's so funny that every year there is some sort of media hype around red meat um, and it's funny that it's now swinging back, the pendulum swinging in the other direction uh, and saying, you know, it was about time that someone looked at this angle from a looked at me, you know, from a slightly different angle. We know that there was a huge media show that happened when the World Health Organization came out saying that red meat increases your risk of cancer um, by, you know, so dramatically. And the, the health movie said that uh, eating one egg is the equivalent to smoking a cigarette or something just absolutely ludicrous. We know that there's a huge amount of benefit from, like, for some people, for consuming animal protein if that's what you choose to do. And we know that there's a huge amount of health benefit to choosing really good quality grass-fed 
hopefully organic red meat. Um, that doesn't mean things that are really highly processed, are laden with lots of preservatives and nitrates and nitrites and all of that sort of stuff. No wonder those sorts of things have been shown to increase your risk of other stuff. Um, but I, I'm just waiting for the like the other argument to come out because if that's just being posted, surely that the other camp will jump on board and there'll be a whole bunch of stuff that, that's just as cherry-picked that comes out, you know, supporting things in the other direction. What do you reckon? Oh, look, it's um, – I just thought the, the expert committee's comments to it were interesting. Um, and I'll read it to you. It's an interesting study. It appears to have been conducted well. What they concluded is that there's a need to be a little bit cautious about pushing dietary advice at people where the need to change diets is not clear. Um, so essentially they're just saying, you know, we, we withdraw the uh, responsibility of guiding people to better health through good nutritional lifestyle guidance. Um, this is from know. the Royal College of GPs. Is that yes. right, general practitioners? Yes. 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 But we also know that their particular nutrition, um, uh, I guess, study and education is not robust. For the majority, no, and I think um, this is why we really need to make sure that we are endeavouring to, you know, I guess cross-pollinate, you know, professions. I, I find it really frustrating when uh, it's them and us or, um, you know, that real sort of sector-based mm-hmm. mentality really needs to start to cross-pollinate because then we start to get the reinforcement of correct um, information mm-hmm. from multiple sources and then it's, you know, really then people are going to start to get this, this idea and this just adds more layers to the confusion people have about, well, what am I supposed to eat? You know, all this dysfunction, disordered eating and, and bad dietary choices because, oh, so you know, the study says no red meat. Oh, I'm going to be vegan. And the next study says no red meat essential for iron and blah, blah, blah. It's just like it's just it's really, really frustrating because uh, I think we have maintained our stance on food for from the get-go. You know, our principles are unchanging yeah. regardless of all of these um, changing research protocols that come out because – Foundations are foundations, right? You know, historically, we can look back at the human population and development of humanity and realise there's some key foundational needs biologically that the human body has that we need to meet. Um, and in doing so, we'll optimise our health and well-being. So, look, I think I don't stand by this idea that we can go back to, what is it, the, our current process and unprocessed red meat consumption essentially meaning don't change anything. Um, I disagree. I think there's plenty of data out there, plenty of research that suggests that reducing intake of red meat to, you know, a maximum of three servings a week um, is associated with reduced, um, you know, morbidity and mortality, which, yeah, and that comes from multiple sources such as cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, anything like that. So um, for me, that definitely outweighs the, the possibility that um, regular red meat consumption has no negative effect. I just think that's, that's crazy. So, yeah. um, and there's so many factors. Like it's, you know, the quality, it's the way you cook it, it's how often you consume it, it's what you eat them with mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, everything else. So... I think that's oh, we've, why we've talked a lot about you know social norms as well, haven't yeah. we? Like there's some cultures yeah. where red meat consumption is their normal diet, um, and there's yeah. an absence of many other things. But we're not living. Most of the people listening to this you know podcast today, we're not living in developing nations with unique population needs. You know, we don't have climatic or cultural reasons that we have a certain development of maybe a gut might gut microbiome, for example, supports this particular eating cell. Um, we are most of us are on a standard Western diet, right? So 
Um, this is not, you know, research for us where you see things like, you know, you can have full red meat consumption every day or because um, this is, you know, we were talking about this only a couple of weeks ago, weren't we? Research yeah. on them. Um, yeah. They were talking. They were doing a. What was the? I, you know what? I put it into my my back burner of my brain. I just thought this is insane. Oh, um, I don't remember. The, it was the opposite of being vegan. It was just like oh, oh, oh the carnivores. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Um, and we got a big credit from that. You know, yeah, we, we, we had a massive backlash. Right she had um, incredible results and all the rest. And we said, great, if that works for you, fantastic. I would hate exactly. to think over time, though, you know, a decade from now, whether that would, uh, you know, hold to be true. Time will tell. And I still maintain that those extremes are not healthy. Um, it can be used therapeutically for a short period of time to get certain outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, there's yeah. also, uh, I know that I'm. I know we're going to get backlash for this as well, but, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, I know that there's a really strong argument in the, you know, against eating animal protein for the sake of um, climate change, mm, yeah. um, which, of course, I'm, you know, 100% on board with. And But it, the latest research does show that agriculture, um, like, uh, contributes to our emissions by 9%. So agriculture is 9%. Red meat or the animals that produce that is less than half of that. So, you know, it's we're still pointing our fingers in the wrong direction with that stuff as well. Like it's we need to be looking at everything else. And uh, isn't it so interesting that what's that woman's name? The, sorry, that, that teenage girl Greta um, that's oh, been going viral yeah. and she's doing really beautiful things and, yes, she is a little bit, um, you know, a little bit different, which we all are, which is amazing. I think someone said that she's got Asperger's, but she's totally being attacked by the far right wing white males who've got issues with her, like her message, but they've got nothing to attack of her message. They're just attacking her, which is just so disgusting that grown adults can just be like attacking a 16-year-old girl's personality and appearance. Like it's just I've totally segued out of this and totally got off track, but it's just Well, no, 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 completely. I think what you're pointing there is alluding the, the differences um, would the same attack come if it was a 16-year-old male. Um, I'm curious yeah. to know. I'm not sure that I think it would. Uh, and, look, it, it sort of ties into something I smiled today. I was trying to keep things a little bit light too, and I like to, you know, a commentary here that was talking about female medical research um, hitting an unlikely roadblock, roadblock in their studies. And what's happening is because of this um, insistence for diversity and inclusivity and everything like that, um, it's mandating diversity. So they're having trouble getting research grants for with, like female health Pacific research. Um, don't say Pacific or specific. <laughs> Pacific, but we, we know you meant specific. I'm not thinking yeah. of the ocean, I'm thinking of specific um, in particular. Yeah. Oh, that's why my pen hates when people say Pacific instead of specific. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I just heard myself say, like, what did I just say? Yeah, um, and that's yes, and so just like, you'll find that later in the evening. Um, but anyway, they're having trouble getting this to test, um, these, these research grants approved to test just female subjects. Because they are exclusion. And you know, they're trying they're trying to research very gender specific things. Um, postnatal, for example, um, perimenopausal and postmenopausal, like it's just really quite funny and they're getting knockbacks because they can't 
present um, inclusivity. They can't present a male inclusion. And they're like, yeah, but men don't have ovaries. Oh, my so, goodness. Isn't that yeah, just so ridiculous? Because yeah. for the majority of, for, you know, historically, women were excluded from all medical research and this is still happening now. So uh, what they were testing on men would have a completely different inference and just change in female physiology. And I think that sometimes we go a little bit too crazy with the, um, uh, the inclusion, exclusion, blah, blah, blah. Like it's just... Yeah, that's well. This is just a catch twenty, right? Because this, um, this was in this was included in towards reduced discrimination against women uh, because there's a distinct lack of you know women in research. But the research mandates, whilst well-meaning, are still hurting the scientists because they can't you know create the data they need without having inclusions. Um, so they're saying it's a bit of a backfire and it's um, very interesting, but it's you know potentially causing more harm than good. So. Um, yeah, the world's gone crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the summation of this episode. Liking it to things like anti-bias training in Starbucks, coffee shops has, you know, done more harm than good, and sexual harassment training in the workplace has proven to be very poorly um, uptake and uh, low effectiveness. So oh, um, it's like dark irony to, uh, to this process of equitable selection. So, yeah, so this is, this is also, you know, another thing we would say, why aren't we getting these outcomes and how come we aren't studying things like, you know, let's just say endometriosis um, with, you know, vigorous uh, research support? Well, it could just be down to some really great people just not getting the funding they need because they can't create, you know, inclusivity into their, their project framework to get supported funding. So yeah. I, I don't have the data on how many are knocked back. They're suggesting there's quite substantial amounts of knockbacks based on this criteria, um, and I think that's very, very interesting given that most research I think that that is just a ruse for another avenue of knocking back female-based research. That's my interpretation of that. Um, and I think that that's why, like, traditionally and historically, that's part of why, like, just the way that women are treated in medicine is so completely different. Um Oh, right. well, you know what? I reckon that's a good that, place to wrap up. Is that we were talking with Sal, but we're talking here about pushing and promoting um, the advancement of women's research and you know, you know, truth seeking. I, I think we're on that mission of finding out the truth and supporting women on their journey. And you know, I guess definitely challenging people to raise their awareness and attention to things that matter. Um, yes, um, and being mindful that you know. Headlines do lie, so don't you know take all the headlines for for what they are. Try and you know interpret and read between the lines where possible. Um, and if in doubt, get in touch with us. Let us you know have a look for you and see if we can figure it out too. Yeah, because it's nothing we love more than preferring through research, and I mean that very sincerely. Um, all right, ladies, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Wellness Women Radio. Uh, it was just something that we really needed to have a conversation about, so we thought we'd record it for your benefit as well. Ladies, you've been listening to, like I said, Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Boston Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.